welcome you this morning to IAC, and my name is Pastor Pastor Jeff, if you're visiting with us today. Glad, we are glad to have you with us. At this time, I'm going to invite uh, those who are going to be coming and taking the offering, if you'd come. And uh, as we receive this morning gifts and our tithes and our offerings, would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, we come before you this morning and worship. We worship through the singing and songs to you and about your goodness and your grace to us. We come to you through your word that speaks words of life to us, and we come to you to give, for you have first given to us beyond anything that we could imagine. You gave us your son, Jesus. So as we give this morning, we do with gratitude, with uh, thanksgiving, and with a mission, the mission that others who don't yet know Jesus Christ may one day soon know him. So we give with open hands, we give with joy and with celebration. And we give in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, one, one other announcement. We want to remind you that uh, two weeks from today, that'll be January 26th, there'll be an, our annual meeting. And that's going to take place right after, um, right after the morning service. We're going to have some refreshments. And uh, then we're going to go right into the meeting. And the meeting, uh, at the meeting will be our district superintendent, uh, Reverend Tom Flanders. Uh, and he'll be speaking to us a bit during the meeting. And uh, it is, uh, it'll be a very, very important meeting. So we hope that you'll plan on being here. Uh, even if you're, you're not a member, you are certainly welcome to come and to hear what's going on. Uh, but only members would be able to vote on anything that we, that we do vote on. So we want to remind you of that as well. So that'll be on the 26th of January, and it'll be a few minutes after the morning service. Before uh, I read the scriptures for this morning, uh, I want us to pray for Robert and Amy. As Neri said, uh, her due date, I think, is yeah, today or tomorrow or um, and I haven't heard anything and I know that they're not away uh, someplace so let's pray for them right now would you join me father we thank you for Robert and Amy uh, for how important they are how what a big part they are not only to envision here but here at uh, IAC and Lord we thank you for the gift of life and we know that, uh, that as uh, that life approaches, there comes labor, there, uh, which is not easy. Uh, uh, Father, we pray you'd be with them today in whatever circumstance they find themselves. Uh, they may be fine, they may be home resting, or they may be in the midst of something else. But in whatever situation they find themselves, we pray that they would find your love and your grace more than sufficient for them. You'd be with them, and Lord, that you would oversee the birth of their next daughter. Uh, that it would, she would come in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and blesses Robert and Amy and the rest of the kids. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask if you'd turn with me to 
uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to be looking at the verse 17, ver- 17 verses. As you're turning there, just to let you know, uh, we're going to be starting a new study. Not quite sure how long it's going to go. Uh, it could go for 10 weeks since there are 10 commandments. But um, this comes after, it's important, it comes after all the things that we've been talking about for the last three months about uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, uh, Pharaoh being defeated, Moses ra- being raised up, and now they're on this journey to the promised land, uh, and we come to this portion of scripture. And here is the word of the Lord. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for you, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I'm glad that Robbie said some the things he said about the grace of God and that we sang the songs about the grace of God because they are so important to our understanding of these 10 words that God gives to his people. We need a strong foundation as we work through this to understand correctly Because without it, we come away with some really strong misunderstandings of God's purpose in giving these words. Everything that we say about this from this point on is based on the foundation that I'm going to be laying this morning. And really important as in our understanding is to to know who 
these words are being given to because they make all the world of a difference. They are given to people who have already, as I said, been led out of slavery. They are given to people who have already been set free from Pharaoh. They are given to people who already know the goodness and the grace of God. God reminds them in case they forgot there in the beginning when he says, I'm the God who led you out of slavery. I'm the God who's bringing you into a promised land. I'm the God who led you out of Egypt. And although he doesn't say it, he can say, I'm the God who led you by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'm the God who sent manna to you every single day so that you would know my provision and my love for you. So the purpose and the intent of these 10 words was to show people, now that they have been set free, how to continue to walk with God in his goodness, to, to live in the freedom that God had already granted to them. Now, there are some of us who, when we read those Ten Commandments, interpret them this way, and I think it's safe to say that we interpret them wrongly. It's as if God is angry with us, as if God got up from the wrong side of the bed and just said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make my people's lives small. I'm going to give them a list of things they cannot do. And so restrict them. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, these words, if we correctly understand them, lead us into the fullness, the largeness of the grace of God. Maybe the best picture that I can think of is, is this, that if you picture these 10 words, these 10 commandments, as 10 sides, 10 sides to a fence that encloses a, a huge garden, so they're the walls of this garden. And God is saying this, that within these walls, within this garden, there is everything that you could hope or imagine that you would want. There is blessing, there is wholeness, there are deep relationships. You can experience my goodness within the walls of this garden. You can work any way you want in the garden. Outside of those, guard, the guard, those walls, there is death, there is restriction, there is slavery. So here are the walls that I'm giving to you to make your life something great. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says, plans to prosper you and, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's heart for us. That's God's heart. It's not to make our lives small and restricted, but to release his promises to our lives. So these words are an invitation to walk in that way. Paraphrased, put shortly, these are the 10 words. Put God first. 
Accept no substitutes. Revere or, or honor God's name. Observe his Sabbath day. Respect your parents. Don't kill other human beings. Limit sex to marriage. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't endlessly desire what doesn't belong to you. With that perspective, I think there are some very natural questions that come up about the, the Ten Commandments that, that I've thought of and, and maybe or maybe not you, you, you've thought about. Well, what about the fact, what if I have not yet come into a relationship with God? What if I have not been already purchased out of slavery by, by, by the grace of God? What then do these Ten Commandments mean to me if I, if I don't know Jesus Christ as my, as my Lord and Savior? Another question might be this. What if you try to use these Ten, ten Laws for an intent that they were never designed for? What if you use them to attempt to work yourself into a, a relationship with God, to make yourself pleasing to God by following the, the Ten Commandments? Or maybe this question. What if you, all, you do know Jesus Christ? What if you love Jesus Christ? What if you, you love God's word to us but you find yourself in a place that is similar to a place that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament found himself in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 and 20 through 24. This is, this is what he wrote. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law in my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subjected to death? What, what's that person's relationship like? with the law if he, when he or she finds himself in, in, in that kind of a condition. That's, that's a really rich passage, and I want to kind of try to unpack it and see if we can understand it on, a, on, on another level. But we need to do some kind of foundational work uh, around it. You see, before the Ten Commandments can do a work of life within us, they have to kill us. Now that, sound, that may sound dramatic, it may sound really difficult to understand, a weird thing, but I think it becomes clear when we understand why these words were given to us. So I want to talk this morning for about four purposes of the Ten Commandments of these words in the life of people who are either not yet knowing God or already know him. So that passage I read from Romans chapter 7 about Paul and what he's talking about the law, he explains a little bit more in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. What shall I say then? 
Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was if it had not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produces in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the command came, sin sprang to life and I died. The law killed him. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment in the commandment put me to death. Let's see if I can kind of paraphrase a little bit of what Paul is saying here. He says, you see, the law, the the Ten Commandments told me that coveting, desiring what doesn't belong to me, is sin. If I hadn't read that, I wouldn't know that it was sin. But, But now I do. He's not saying that the law causes him to to sin, but the reality of sin came to life when he heard the law. It made me aware that coveting was a sin. So, um, an example. When we were early on in ministry, we were doing a home Bible study, and there was a young woman who came who just came to know Jesus Christ. And we were studying the Bible together, and she really didn't know much about the Bible, and that's why she was coming. And we were teaching. And in the study, we were talking about sexual immorality. And she asked, so, well, what, what do you mean by sexual immorality? Said, well, the definition of sexual immorality is, is sex outside of marriage. Remember the word there? Limit sex to marriage. So sexual immorality is sex outside of marriage. She had never heard that before. Never. And she was living with a boyfriend. And she, she it, it, was, it was so interesting to watch. She said, so let me see if I get this straight. <laughs> sexual immorality is a sin, displeasing to God. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm committing sexual immorality, and God's word says that's sin. I said, well, what, what did it just say? She said, yeah, it is. And she moved out from, with her boyfriend. What happened was, when she heard the word, when she heard the commandment, suddenly she understood what sin was. And she responded to the word. Again, the purpose of the law, part of the purpose of the law, is to reveal sin to us. Is the law bad? No, absolutely not. It does me a favor when it shows me that there is sin in my life. But the truth is, having sin revealed in your life is never, ever a pleasant thing. 
It feels like death. Have you ever felt the, the, the conviction of sin? And this conviction of sin feels almost like you're pinned to a wall. Like, like there's this light that has been shined on your light, on your face, and it is really, really uncomfortable, and you just want to get away from it as quickly as you can. Why? Because the law revealed sin to you. That's the first purpose of the, of, the, one of the Ten Commandments, to reveal sin. The second is very simply this, to produce brokenness in us. You see, there's nothing I can do to clean up my sin. The law is like this, pow again, like this powerful, penetrating light that shines in the darkness, and it just reveals all the junk in our lives that, that we are hiding. So again, we'll go back to the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. As soon as we hear that, thou shalt not commit adultery, we react to it. Some of us would react this way. Well, that's, it's about time somebody preached about sexual immorality because there's far too much of that going on and continue to preach about it sort of pushing it off. But then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I feel exposed. And that's just very, very uncomfortable for me. Or, or another one, thou shalt not kill. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard this, when we talk about everybody being a sinner. And one of the, one of the things you'll often hear is like, well, I've never killed anybody. So therefore, I must be good in God's sight, right? But then Jesus says, well, what about anger? What about anger in your life? Well, I didn't kill anybody, but yeah. You see, words have power to kill. When, when we talk to our, our spouse, or we talk to our children, or we talk to, to other people, and, and we use phrases that we never should use, like, what's wrong with you? Are you stupid? Can't you do anything right? Those words are shame. They're words that can kill a person, kill their spirit inside, even if we don't physically take their life from them. Jesus said this, in the same, in the, close in that same passage, in Matthew chapter five, 5, verse 22. If anyone says, you fool, you are in danger of hell. Now, a legalist would say, okay, I've never used the word fool. 
I call people idiots, but I've never used the word fool. Therefore, I'm okay, right? We might as well almost take a person's life when we speak words that are death and shaming and killing to them. When the light of the word of God comes and says, Jesus says, I want to talk to you about your anger. You may have never taken a physical life, but I want to talk to you about the anger and hatred in your heart. Most of us will take one or two options. Sometimes we just say, I'm going to turn the light off. I'm going to, I'm going to go someplace else. I'm tired. I don't want to sit under this kind of teaching. And so I'm going to go someplace else where they're going to tell me what I want to hear. So sometimes we move away from that light that exposes sin to us. Or sometimes we use the phrase, well, I may be doing that, but everybody else is doing it as well. To kind of give us an out to it. The, the problem with that is everybody else is doing it, so it's okay for me to do it. It's responded to in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12, where the writer says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So one option when, when God reveals sin to us is we just want to turn the light off and we want to move away. The, sec the second option is we become angry at the person who turned the light on. You know? I remember, again, riding with our kids. We used to, when they were all home, we had a van. And we used to travel at night uh, when we had to travel from where we were living in Pennsylvania to, uh, to Massachusetts. And so it all pile in the car, and I get, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm driving, I'm driving, and I want to get to where we want to go in a hurry. So I'm not obeying the speed limit. I'm going faster than the speed limit. And from the back of the van, I hear one of our kids say, Dad, what's the speed limit? Now, my reaction would be, just go to sleep. <laughs> Stop turning the light on the fact that I'm not obeying the law. That's what we do sometimes. We get angry at the person who said, hey, do you know that your anger is, is, is a sin? The third option is we just try to clean up the mess ourselves. We try to do the very best that we can. After all, that's what God expects. And honestly, for the first part of my whole life, that was, that was the message I heard. Do the very best you can. That's all God expects from you. You get angry, everybody gets angry. Just try better next day. Try harder the next time. And that was the, the most powerless message I ever heard in my life. I mean, even as, not even as a believer, I just understood this. I can't do that. And number two, I don't even know if I want to do it. I don't even know if I want to stop <laughs> what I'm doing. 
So we compare, we do that sometimes, we, as I said, we compare ourselves to, 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 to other people. You know, well, at least I've never done what she did. Or, or we read the newspaper, or we listen to, to the news, and you say, well, you know, I'm not the best person in the world, but at least I'm not doing what they're doing. I thank God that I'm not like them. And if you do sin, then, then how do we clean up our life? Well, we're just going to go to church more often. We're going to pray. We're going to go to read it. Go to a counselor. We're gonna read. We're gonna read a book, and let's say I'm dealing with anger, and so I say I'm gonna focus all my attention on 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 my anger, and I work really hard, and I read books, and I go to a counselor, and I and I talk to people about my anger, and and I get my anger under control. I'm not I'm no longer an angry person, and then the light moves, and it says, "What about?" The fact that you lie. What about the fact that you've stolen? See, the purpose of the law is doing its work. To bring us to a place of brokenness where we say, there's no way I can get myself out of this, no matter how hard I try. And the purpose of the law is to bring us to that place of brokenness and confession. And the law will not let us go until we come to that place saying, I can't do this. So again, the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. Secondly, is to bring us to a place of brokenness. And then the third purpose of the law is to drive us to Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 3. Before coming to faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. It says this, the law was my guardian. It was a guardian. The law was put in charge. Literally, it's saying this, the law became my tutor. The law became my teacher. Now, in the culture, this, this word is really important because in larger homes, there was a servant. And this, this servant's job was very, just one job, and it was this, to bring the children of the household to school. They didn't have vans, but literally would be to drive the kids to school so that they could learn. Now, this servant oftentimes had a long stick to keep the kids in line. Because the kids, you've got 20 kids and you're trying to get them to school and they're all going in different directions and so they would use this kind of stick to keep them in line. It's kind of today when you see, when you see a group of school kids going down the street, what, what do they often do? They have a, like a rope that they hold on to, to make sure, all the kids have to hold on to the rope to, to make sure that they, don't, that they don't wander off. And that's part of what the purpose of the law was. It, it is to reveal sin, it is to, to, to break us of our efforts to, to 
earn our, our righteousness from God, but then also to, to teach us, to, to draw us to Christ, drive us to Christ. Because in him, we find life. James chapter 1, verse 25 says this, but whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, does no, and not forgetting what he, they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. See, in Christ, we get, among other things, a new heart, a spiritual heart. David kind of talks about this heart in Psalm 27, verse 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. One of the telltale marks that we have been delivered from sin and that we are in relationship with Christ is that we are given a new heart. And that new heart gives us a new desire to love God, to serve God, to worship God. So that when, when the law comes to us, we say, yes, I want to obey what God is speaking to me. And we do that, we can only do that if we have a new heart. Ezekiel talks about this in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. When God says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's this inside job that we change, not from outside pressure, but because God has given us a heart that now desires more than anything else to love him and to live in his kingdom purposes. See, and when that happens, the law no longer has the power to kill us, no longer to condemn us. It will confront us again and again, convicting us of sin, and that will not always be a pleasant experience, but it no longer can condemn us. And that's what Paul writes about in Romans 8, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, now those words of life, those, those 10 commandments have the power to, to lead us deeper in our relationship with God. From that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus has the road to come in and say, okay, now I want, to deal, I want to deal with the lust in your heart. From that commandment, thou shalt not kill, we are led to a deeper place where God says, okay, you may not have killed somebody physically, but I want to deal now with your anger. 
and I want to release you from the power of anger. And that leads us to the fourth purpose of the law. And that is it has the power to call us. Where we can say, I want your word, O Lord, to expose every part of my life that is outside of those walls of the garden. That I can live in the midst of the blessing that you call me. I want to live a kingdom life for you. To that place where, where we can say with Paul, I press on for my entire life. I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper in my relationship with you. So I recognize this morning that, that the law, this word can have, do one or two things to us. First of all, it can kill us. And if it's, if it's killing you, all I can say this is, even though it is really uncomfortable, let it do its work. Don't turn the light off. Don't start yelling at people who turn the light on. But give up trying to convince yourself that all you need to do is just try harder. Let the law do that for you. Allow it to drive you to Christ, who is your only hope, who is the source of a deep and abiding grace that we talked about this morning, that is the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And God will give you a new heart if you'll only ask him for it. The second of all, if the law, if this word isn't killing you at that point, then it may be calling you. That there may be some areas in your life that, that you've not let that light shine on because it's too uncomfortable because you don't want to give up. <laughs> what would happen if all of a sudden you had to start dealing with it? And yet this morning maybe God is calling you, even in those 10 simple words, maybe calling you to walk deeper into the freedom that, that he offers you. Realize that, not, that what God calls you to, he will give you the power to deal with. You don't have to deal with it on, you're not dealing with it on your own, you don't have to deal with it on your, under your own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk into victory in those areas that once held us captive. Would you join me in prayer? Father, it strikes me that even as you just read the Ten Commandments, a light kind of shines on areas of my life I'm sure of others. And it would be easy to turn that light off, to ignore it, to move off on to something else. But part of the work of your Holy Spirit is, is to, in fact, 
convict us of those areas that need your touch. So I pray that we would be open today, that we wouldn't turn the light off, we wouldn't become angry because once again we have to deal with this, this subject that we thought I wouldn't have to deal with again. And Father, that we would in every way possible respond to the invitation that you give us to come deeper and to live in your garden that is full of delight and abundance, grace and good purposes because you are a good God. We love you. We thank you for your work. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.